let your eyes open. I want to start with this quote um, from Rob Lehman. He writes, we don't let go into trust until we've exhausted our egos. We don't let go into trust until we've exhausted our egos. <laughs> Another way to say that I was uh, downstairs straightening my bangs. <laughs> I was thinking about this, and I think another way to say this is to say that um, we don't lo- let go into trust until we've exhausted our egos, or we <laughs> realize that there's nothing left to protect, right? And that actually that there's at our essence, at our core, that there is nothing wrong with us, right? Um, At our core is just that loving awareness that we just checked in with in the meditation, right? That when it comes down to it, that everything perceivable, everything that is made of matter, we perceive through that awareness, right? And the judgment and the um, layering kind of that we put upon our awareness, that stuff comes from the ego. And so there's this sort of beautiful way in which um, we have to go through this burning, which... (laughs) Um, which is intense to be able to move through to trust, right? And that's just how it works. That is just how it works. Um, Somehow we have given tremendous, tremendous power, right, to the people around us in terms of judgment, right, in terms of thinking that we need to be a certain way, because of that innate have, we need to, to be loved, right? To be cared for. And um, that translates often into feelings of insecurity or that we're doing it wrong or that we are somehow separate and don't belong, which in my belief system and what I've come to understand from working with thousands of people over the years is that that ultimately is our core wound is that whatever it looks like, whatever the coverings look like on the outside, um, right? Our ego projects itself in different ways, whatever the coverings are, um, ultimately it's covering a belief that somehow we are not worthy of love in this life, right? Which is the exact opposite, um, Right of what the teachings of yoga tell us and the um, what the Buddha tells us is that everyone has a bodhisattva nature, every single person, and no one is exempt. Right? That we all have the opportunity to connect to connect with that wise, loving part of ourself. That it exists no matter what. That it is a remembering, right, a bringing together. Um, that that happens when we wake up. Right, it's a remembering who we really are, where happiness and joy and contentment really reside. So, um, we do not let go into trust until we've exhausted our egos. Um, there's two stories that I want to talk about. There's some teaching stories that I learned from Mark Nepo, and one of them is about the artist Goya. Uh, and it's sort of a compare and contrast story, two different experiences. So Goya um, was an artist, as you can look up some of his work, and he said that it wasn't until he went deaf, right, that he realized that his what his inner genius needed to rise up was to give up aiming to please, 
to give up aiming to be the pleaser. So literally his body went deaf and then because he became deaf to a lot of the voices outside of him, right? That he had the opportunity for his inner genius to rise up and it became one of the great gifts of his life, which I think is just so fantastic. And then on the other side of the spectrum is that we have the writer Herman Melville, who you might know, um, I got, I went through like an intense, I know it would not seem like it from the outside, but I went from uh, through an intense and intense seat literature phase when I was living in France when I was 19, 1819. And, oh, damn it. Oh, it's back. Okay. Um, I think that we had a brief error, but we're back now. Um, so when I was living in France, when I was 18, 19, I read a lot of, oh, it's going to try again. Let's see. I'm just going to make sure it's working. Yeah. Okay. Um, I went through a sea literature phase and I read all of Herman Melville's short stories and Billy Budd. And um, then when I came home, I took a sea literature class and worked Hey, Ursa, are you using the internet? Ursa, don't use the internet, please. Sorry, it's just work from home. <laughs> okay. Ursa. Um, I have it like plugged in. I don't even know how it's doing that. I hope you're still here with me. I'm just gonna check and make sure it's working. Um, let's see. Okay, it seems to be working again. I'm really sorry, friends. Um, okay, so here we are. <laughs> um, Herman Melville. So Herman Melville wrote Moby Dick, which is um, just this like intense metaphorical work that is like, it's just one, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful book. And after he wrote Herman Melville. Hey, Ursa, will you not use the internet, please, buddy? Ursa, do you hear me? Will you not use the internet, please? Okay. Um, it's fine. We're, we're just having, it's just how it is. Um, okay, so we're back. It seems to be working. So M Herman Melville wrote Moby Dick, and after he wrote Moby Dick, he had this... Um, crises because the American public, like it was like this great American novel and the American public laughed at it, right? At this thing that he had spent a really long time. He was very young. He was 32 years old and they laughed at it, right? And there's being sensitive um, in a way that is like wonderful where we're really in touch with all parts of ourselves as we did in the meditation where it is um, the parts of ourselves that are mm, the, the body part of ourselves, the body wisdom, the intellectual wisdom, the um, beautiful, um, like spiritual part of ourselves, the awareness part of ourselves, as well as the... Um, our intellectual and feeling part of ourselves, right? And so there's the being sensitive in that way and being like self-aware in that way. And then there's also the 
being um, sensitive where we are thin-skinned, right? Where we don't have that connection to our deepest, most anchored, rooted part of ourselves that can never be messed up, right? And it is um, from that place, (laughs) right, that we tend to collapse. And I know this place very, very well. Um, any, most of us probably have been through times in our lives where we feel disconnected from that part of ourselves. And um, it is, what happened to Melville, I think, is like a really sad thing, but it is also an instructive thing. He stopped writing then for close to 40 years, right? Um, like stopped writing even like alone. He wasn't publishing anything, but he also stopped writing. And I think that that is what can happen when we don't understand the anatomy of judgment, right? The anatomy of um, what judgment actually is and how it works in our world. So um, my kid, Veda, they have a girlfriend named Annabelle who has become just this really beautiful, wonderful, gorgeous being in our lives. Um, she grew up in Australia and London and is so uh, just like gorgeous, <laughs> just a gorgeous person, like light being. I'm so happy for Veda. It's just the best. They're so in love. I've never seen Veda um, experience this sort of profound connection with another person. And when they came to visit, it was beautiful to witness and to have Annabelle in our house. Um, and Annabelle and I had a, a connection right away. And Annabelle comes from very, very different circumstances than my family or Veda's family and was raised um, in New York and London and Australia as a very like person who had a lot more means um, than Veda and I have. And, um, you know, sometimes when folks come from households that have a lot of means and a lot of sort of status in society, that can also come with a lot of judgment, right? And being sort of the (laughs) self-declared, um, black sheep of the family. Annabelle called me this week. So sweet, like best job reaching out. If I had known how to reach out at 21, I think that my life would be a lot different, you know, (laughs) but I did not understand how to ask for help until like yesterday, right? (laughs) In the shower, I was like, I have all these things I need to ask for help with, and I feel scared to do it today. Like literally that's what happened. Um, so Annabelle reached out and was like, Audra, I'm feeling some judgment. Um, with my my folks and would you be willing to talk to me and so we got on the phone and what had happened was is that Annabelle had gotten a tattoo on her body um, of this drawing that she's drawn since she was a little kid called the chicken of truth and the chicken of truth um is really sweet it's just like really the most like innocuous kind of thing I wish that I had one to show you Um, maybe I'll have her send it to me and I can post it on my Instagram feed or something, but it's just this like sweet, innocuous little drawing, um, that she would draw everywhere called the chicken of truth. And she tattooed it on her body and her family had a lot of judgment around that. Um, like aunts were calling grandmothers 
and that feeling of being separate, right, and not belonging. I love that it's the chicken of truth that caused <laughs> this whole thing to arise that to me. I'm just like, oh, my God, it's so beautiful. You tattoo the chicken of truth on you, right? Then the truth is going to rise up to meet you. But what happens when the truth rises up to meet us is that we have to meet it, right? So goddamn blessings upon you, chicken of truth. Um so we called and we talked about the anatomy of judgment. Like what is the structure of judgment? Because I think that when we understand it, we have the opportunity to be more like Goya, right? And a little bit less thin skinned like Melville, right? We want our sensitivity to still be a wise sensitivity, right? That's rooted in that highest place within us. So. This is what I explained to Annabelle, is that um, mm, enduring the tension between wanting to please, right, and being loved, and then also being the fullest, most authentic expression of ourselves is some of the hardest work that we do in this lifetime. It is no small deal. And when we are doing that work with our family, it's not just judgment, but it's like touching in and tapping in on our deepest wounds. Like there's that saying, right? Our family knows how to push our buttons because they installed them in us. <laughs> That's just how it works. Um, and all of the things that we learned to do, this is so important. Take a note on this, friends. Take a note on this. All of the things that we learned how to do to please were not for us. They were for someone else. They were for someone else. That's a really, really big thing to know. All the things that we learned to do in order to please weren't for us, weren't for our most authentic expression of ourselves, right? It was to make someone else more comfortable. So what happens when you tattoo the chicken of truth on yourself and that it isn't like following the script of the people around you who've taught you how to be pleasing in this way, is that then there's a feeling of discomfort that arises in those folks, right? So judgment is always an expression of internal discomfort that is then projected either inward. I am someone who struggles a lot with self-judgment, a lot, right? (laughs) A lot. Um, And... But a lot of times, um, folks will take that judgment also and project it outward onto someone else, right? So we have the opportunity to be able to be in a more, um, to widen the lens, right? From it being all about us, right? And how we're bad and wrong to noticing and understanding that when someone is projecting their judgment onto us, that it is coming from a deep discomfort existing internally in them. And that it is not our job to fix it, that we actually can't, right? Um, And to notice, this is one thing that I think is so important. I, for one, have some really like gut sort of like, not instinctual because it's not coming from my actual instinct, but some learned ways in which I respond to judgment that instantaneously can make it better. 
right? Apologizing is a big one for me. Just, oh, I'm so, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Without even really like considering what's happening. Right. Um, like really, really making the other person feel as if they are the best thing in the whole entire universe, just like kind of shining the light on them (laughs) is another one. It's called fawn behavior, people pleasing behavior. Right. Um, and you might have other ways. It might be that you run and hide. It might be that you fight right in the face of judgment. It might be that you get defensive. Um, I totally can get defensive as well where I feel like, Oh, I didn't make your questioning my integrity. I didn't do that. Right. Um, and so those are sort of like the two like beginning stages when we're working with judgment, when the chicken of truth has caused an issue, right? Is understanding the anatomy of it, that it is always a projected expression of discomfort, either externally or internally. Right? And then the next question, and I've taught this a lot, but it bears repeating because we forget, even I forget like every day, <laughs> is that when we are in judgment, either projecting it outward or inward ourselves, the question that needs to be asked is what am I avoiding feeling? Like how is this covering that wide, open, spacious, joyous, loving awareness, right? That is available for me to connect to at any time, right? Those qualities of presence, spacious, right? Loving, and really here, rooted in here, in the now. Um, so let me look at my notes and make sure. Anatomy of judgment, check. The chicken of truth, check. Yes. Mm-hmm. Good. Ah, okay. Hmm. It takes back to that quote that we started with, which is, we do not let go into trust until we've exhausted our egos, right? Is that there's um, a great shedding of identity often that has to happen, right? When we begin to discern the difference between our own inner genius and the cloak of acceptance that we place over us, right? Duncan Trussell, the comedian who made one of my favorite shows of all time, The Midnight Gospel, it's like, it just makes me weep thinking about that that show exists in the world. He says that when you first meet him, you meet his bodyguard, right? And many times before when we're in the process of waking up, we mistake our bodyguard for ourselves (laughs) and that it takes a lot of shedding and usually a lot of that burning to go through, to realize that that bodyguard is necessary, yes, sometimes, but that that is not us, right? That that's not the essence of who we are, that cloak of acceptance person that we put on top of us. Um, mm, I think that's it, my loves. I think that's it. Are there any questions? I'm really sorry for the technical difficulties. It seems like it's all working now. since he finally responded to me, just saying. Um, Okay, let us go to the mat. You have a playlist there. I'll just pause for a moment, see if there's any questions. Um, Me and we are lucky to get to have conversations like this. Uh, What's I gonna say? Mm, It's a blessing 
to even be in to have to have like the space and the resources to be able to think about this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, friends. Yeah, no apologies needed. Just humans humaning together, right? I would also say that judgment, um, just because we are in a yoga community, in a meditation community, and it tends to be, um, oh my gosh, I'm experiencing this so much as a public person right now, and we'll end here, is that there is this intense projection of perfectionism on me. I was at the park yesterday, at the park, talking to an old friend. I was standing there with my dog, and um, she was holding her baby, bouncing it. And this woman approached me, and we had had some sort of, like, she wanted a job from me or something, like, years ago, and, like, immediately started in on me and how I had handled that. And I just was thinking so much about how that projection of perfectionism we do that a lot to each other in the yoga and the meditation world and I feel like it's one of my personal missions to keep telling you all how much of a human being I am right (laughs) and also to recognize that you also are all human beings and like all human beings there are parts of us that don't handle things well um, that make mistakes that have to like uh, be accountable you know um and it is uh, a lot, it's a lot of pressure. And to notice that like when that projection of perfectionism is happening outward and inward, it is a form of judgment and that the same process applies, right? To notice it, notice the way in which we respond to it, running and hiding, people pleasing, whatever it is that keeps us safe, right? Oftentimes this comes from our own trauma history. And then to be able to ask ourselves that question, what am I avoiding feeling right now, right? Once we're safe, what is it that I'm avoiding feeling? For me yesterday at the park when that happened and I felt that sort of like defensive response, also like, don't talk to me like that at the park, Uh, boundaries. (laughs) Um, I noticed I was avoiding feeling that feeling of like, oh, I do mess up, you know, and I don't handle things perfectly. And it is hard being a human and I would have done that differently had I know what I know now, right? And when we say that to ourselves in that kind, sweet, generous way, we have the opportunity to literally rewire our brains, which is a miracle. That is transformation right there. Okay, let's do this. Come on over. Boom.